0: Brothers and sisters in Christ, our text this week is from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and it's titled, Speak the Truth, Even If Your Voice Shakes. Today we're going to be looking at just one verse, which is verse 25. Please can you turn there now. Ephesians 4, verse 25. In our study of this book thus far, what Paul has been telling us has been in quite general terms. It's been aimed at helping us to understand how a follower of Christ is formed by God as a new person, without earthly labels of race or religion, but belonging to a heavenly body, the Church. He has told us about the mechanism of our salvation, God's glorious grace making us alive through Christ's sacrifice when once we were dead in our sins. We've heard about how each believer has work to do as part of the Church work that has been specifically given to each one of us by God to do, and without which our fellow believers will suffer. Paul has told us that since we now know about all that has been done for us, we must throw away our old behaviors, our old man, and replace it with a new man created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, the Lord wants us to be all that he has designed us to be an example to the world of what a right relationship with holy God looks like. In our text today, Paul moves from this general position to a more personal and particular instruction aimed at each one of us as individuals. Let's read then Ephesians 4, and I'm going to start reading from verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. What we read here is that if we have been changed inside in what we think and feel, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, then this should show up in our outward behaviour. The first thing Paul picks on here is falsehood. Christians shouldn't tell lies. Well, do they? Do you? Do I? Are we really walking that walk? Are we actually that different to the world? I can give you an opinion based on my own experience, but that's just my opinion. What are the facts? Of course, it's very hard to find much information that's particularly aimed at measuring lies. I guess that's quite difficult because it's hard to know if those in a study are lying about their lies. So I started looking into what more general research might have been done to see how Christians as a group compared to non-Christians behavior-wise. And here's what I found. I suspect that many of you may have heard of these statistics before, and they are from a study done by the Barna Group in America in the late 90s. The first table is about things people do: do they get divorced? Do they give money to homeless people? Have they taken drugs or medication prescribed for dis- depression? Have they done stuff like watched an X-rated movie in the last three months? And the second table is about what, what about? people feel? How do they feel about their success in life? And what's their position on their financial debt? Do you have a purpose for life? I don't want to debate the specifics of these tables, but I think the point is well made that they show that Christians do not generally think or act differently to the rest of the world. And although we might be minded to ignore them because they are old and American and statistics, the truth We probably won't have to look very far at our own lives to find their echoes right there. And this is not what we might expect, because we would like to believe that we've got it sorted. We have the important answers to life's problems. Something here is very wrong then, and it's very wrong for a lot of us, and it greatly undermines the message of the Gospel. Now in speaking about that undermining, I want to say that we need to think about where we personally sit. Because it's very easy to look at, say, oh, a Christian business person who's been caught stealing or a Christian man or woman who's been caught in a sexually compromising situation and think, you swine! Look at the bad name you're giving to Christians. However, it may well be that we are ignoring the logger in our own eyes that Kalfain has recently been speaking about. It's true that our own behaviour may not have been so extreme or have such a degree of taboo associated with it as those sorts of sins. But to the believer, it is just as damning and unconvincing. Let me read you the scripture. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that, of course, is from Luke 18. We would probably like to think that we... I'm not like Pharisee, but I suspect that an honest look at some of our own attitudes will find them to be, well, uncomfortably like him. So what are we going to do? Where would we start to make a real change? Well, we have some advice from Scripture right here, don't we? Therefore, putting away from lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We can start by no longer lying. Why would you suppose that Paul picked lying to start with? Why not murder or fornication or some other really big and exciting sin? Let's go back to basics then. If we do not lie, then we speak and live the truth. And what is the truth? Let's see. Amongst many other scriptures, the Gospel of John has a great deal to say about the subject of truth. And here are a few scriptures from there, John 1 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What does this tell us? If we could see Jesus' glory, the reflection of what he is, what would we see? We would see grace and truth. John eight, thirty-one and thirty two. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Friends, do you want to be free? The world says that freedom is a human right. But I ask you, is a freedom that must be bought and legislated for truly freedom? And that mercy is at the mercy of Oh, sorry, that freedom is at the mercy of political whim and may be taken away at any time. Oh, I know. Why am I living here in New Zealand and not Zimbabwe where I was born? However, the truth of Christ, the truth of Christ will surely set us free in a way that can never be lost. Finally, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do we want to be able to approach our Creator and Heavenly Father? Don't you yearn to experience His love and counsel? Then you must come through the truth. The truth with a capital T that is expressed only in Christ. There is no other way. And that is the message of the Gospel. We have this gift given to us by God the Father. Lay aside your sin and come to his feet through Jesus our Saviour. So we can see from these scriptures that truth is a very fundamental part of Jesus' nature. So that if we want to take up his name as Christians, then it must be a fundamental and visible part of our natures too. Well, how can we possibly claim to be his disciples? And this is why Paul has started here with lying. It's an epidemic today. It's everywhere, and hardly anyone cares. Falsehood has become something to be dismissed with a wink and a nod. How do you know when a politician is lying? When he opens his mouth? I suspect that many citizens in some way actually admire those lies, although even a moment's reflection shows us that really it's madness to allow liars to rule us. Yet we do, and we lie too. We should speak the truth because that is the very essence of what we have been given in Christ. If we say we represent him and aspire to be like him, then we must be representatives of truth and speak it out consistently. We are given another reason for setting aside lies. Our text says that we should do so, for we are members of one another. Now we've spoken at great length before today about how the church embraces all believers in its structure as living stones. So I hope that that is by now well understood, how intimate the relationship between us is intended to be. We are members of one another, a body. What does this mean when we're talking about lies? We'll use a hot plate for illustration. Who knows the the definition of a hot plate, by the way? It's my favorite joke. It's this, the longer you sit on it, You can't. Well, let's say that I was cooking and by mistake I put my hand directly onto the hot plate. The problem is that today my hand is feeling grumpy. So that instead of reporting to the brain, Ow! Or more more probably, Ow! Because it is a very hot plate. It says, "No, mate. She's as good as gold. What's that burning smell? The nose might say. But the hand still insists on telling lies despite the damage that is happening to it. Now you may think this is a crazy illustration because that would never happen in real life, but isn't that what we so often do as Christians? We lie to one another. We lie about how we are feeling, we lie about our struggles, we lie about our sins, and we lie about how diligent we are in our Christian walk. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire Paul to use a physical body as an example of what the church as a group ought to look like, for fun. It's an exact and powerful picture of what we are intended to be. So, as far as truth is concerned, it should be as unlikely that you will use falsehood with your brothers and sisters in the body as your hand refusing to tell you that it is on fire. Brothers and sisters, if we call ourselves by the name Christian, a name that is clearly rooted in truth, then we shouldn't be doing this. Okay, now I'm remembering what I've just said and I'm thinking, great, I mustn't lie again ever, but how can I do this in real life? How can I tell my wife, yes darling, your posterior really does look too big in those jeans. And inasmuch as the truth is hard to speak, it can also be hard to hear. How do I respond when someone comes to me after the service and says, oh, thanks for the sermon Dave, but it was rubbish. How on earth can we manage that tension between being obedient to our Lord and not causing or taking offence? I can remember walking into my high school gym for the first time and seeing two rules chalked up above the door, and you may know them. Rule 1, the coach is always right. Rule 2, in the unlikely event of the coach being wrong, refer again to Rule 1. Well, that made the position clear, I think. And we have some clarifying rules too. The principal principles for our faith that come from Jesus himself. And they are very easy to bring to mind because there are only two. Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. So we have these two fundamental spiritual rulers to use in every circumstance to measure what we do. But for today's purposes I want to focus particularly on the second. Love your neighbour as yourself. It stands to reason to me that if you are going to use your own feelings as a guide in what you say to and about others, then you will probably be a bit more careful about engaging mouth mode. I say engaging because loose lips sink ships. When the mouth is disconnected from the brain, all kinds of unhelpful rubbish can just fall out onto the floor. Oops, didn't mean for that to be there. But there's nothing you can do. It's out in the open now for everyone to hear and remember. And words are the most inflammable substance known to man. Just a few of them can set your world on fire. When we speak the truth, we must be careful and thoughtful about what we say. So the first thing we might remember is that if we are loving others, as we love ourselves, well, we wouldn't want to hear careless things said about us, and so we shouldn't say them about others. They might be facts, so one could technically say that they are true, but when we compare them to our standard for truth, which is Jesus, how do they stack up? Will they bring life? Are they words of love and encouragement? And if they aren't, then we should keep them to, to ourselves, no matter how true they may be. Now, before we carry on any further, I want to briefly make two diversions because I feel they're very important. And the first of these is that there are instances where we may need to speak up, even when we know that the words will bring pain. One such situation might be where we know that if we say nothing, then some harm will be done to others. And another could be when we see persistent sin in a fellow believer's life. However, if we choose to speak, then we need to be very sure of both our facts and our motives. And when we do act, we should do so within the instruction of Scripture. So that, if done correctly, I'd like to believe that the receiver of such correction would one day, maybe not today, see that these were loving actions taken completely within the bounds of the second great commandment that we've been talking about. The second diversion I want to make is this. We're talking a great deal about rules today. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. It can sometimes seem like being a Christian is just too hard. Man, it's impossible to keep up with all those rules. I can't do it. So I'm clearly not a Christian. and I'm just going to give up and go away. that would be a terrible shame. Let's take a step back then. Our relationship with God is the result of an incredibly loving act by God. He decided to do it, and he made it happen. There wasn't any amount of good deeds or rule-following that we could do that would achieve the same thing. Salvation comes only through Christ, by grace, never, ever, ever by works. In these circumstances, it doesn't seem odd to me that the most obvious response to such love and grace is love and grace. We will lovingly serve and obey our Lord because He loved us first. No other reason is needed. So when we look at our rulebook for Christian living, the Bible, let's try to imagine it as a book of thanksgiving and loving acts rather than a crushing burden. Because that is the thing it was never intended to be. Jesus calls us. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are beautiful words of release. Hold them in your mind as you go about your work, and you will find the right attitude of heart for that service. Going back now to the matter of practically knowing how to deal with falsehood, another helpful scripture is one that we've studied not long ago in Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. It reads, That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. It doesn't say here, speaking the truth in brutal honesty, or speaking the truth for personal gain, or speaking the truth to puff up one's pride or to cause offence, which are all reasons that we do use daily. It says, speaking the truth in love. And what sort of love? It's agape love. And that means that we are putting the other person first, seeking their best interests and not our own. This is a very strong indication for how we ought to be dealing with talking to each other in daily life. Not just here inside our church, but out there in the world. There are moments quite often in life when we need to tell others difficult things. The way we deliver those is so important because we can really break a person with just a few words. On the other hand, careful and considered speech can deliver the most unpleasant news in a way that strengthens. Remember, we started this conversation by talking about how little the the perceived differences are between believers and unbelievers. Each of us here has a mouth and the capacity for speech. How will we use it? To be the same or to be the difference? How will the way we say, what we say, show out the attitudes of our heart? The next helpful scripture on speaking truth comes from the book of James and will also be familiar to most of us. James one. 19 and 20 so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god this is a picture of a spur beloved of cowboys it was used to gee up your horse put more plainly stick this in the side of your horse and it'll either buck you off which you probably deserve or move a bit faster And as we can see from James, speed is not always good. One of the most common moments in which we fail to speak the truth is when we are in too much of a hurry to get those words out. So if we are looking for ways to improve the way that we speak truth, this is very useful advice. Take time to listen, consider, and then reply. And this may take some practice, but it's a very fine habit to have. You know, it occurs to me that speaking the truth can have a more literal meaning than just avoiding lies. We might also think about speaking the truth in terms of spending more time with our brothers and sisters, discussing God's good word, the Bible, which is the truth. It is the standard from which we can order our lives. So if we spent more time speaking about scripture, and less time scandaling about the latest thing on Facebook, or the local news from the Wanganui Chronic, How much faster do you think we might begin to understand it and remember it? What do you think that might do to advance the progress of sanctification in your life? How much more useful meat might there be in our conversation? It is good and healthy to dwell on the things of God. Philippians 4 Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We are called very strongly to speak the truth in this passage. It isn't merely a suggestion. Now, I haven't spoken at all today about the construction of this text, but it's very hard for me, so now I want to just mention two words. When Paul speaks of putting away lying, he uses the same word as he does when he calls us to put off the old man. It, it carries with it to hear the very same feeling of deliberately stripping off a set of stinking, dirty old clothes and replacing them with clean and fresh ones. The business of changing our behaviour in respect to lying is expected to bring about a definite change in our outward appearance that should be visible and notable to those around us. In his commentary on this verse, John MacArthur says, the only real evidence of a person's being saved is not a past experience of receiving Christ, but a present life that reflects Christ. Do you call yourself saved? And one of the ways you should reflect Christ is by visibly putting off lies. The next word I want to draw your your attention to is the word truth. The Greek word means non-concealment. Nothing at all is hidden. It is all open to light and inspection. And if you think about it, that makes it exactly opposite to a lie because lies are all about concealment and darkness. So. This is a kind of test for our speech. If we are trying to decide whether something is a lie or not, then we might ask ourselves then if anything is being concealed, and why. There might be any number of unhelpful reasons, for example, avoiding responsibility or punishment. Maybe you want to deliberately cause offence, or escape unpleasant work, or perhaps to puff up personal pride. The list is long. But if we know one of these types of things lies behind the desire to hide something, then we know we're about to lie and we should stop there. Now I've just used the word unhelpful, unhelpful concealment. Concealment for unhelpful reasons. I believe motive is very important in this matter. There are instances when it isn't necessary or appropriate to tell everything that we know And being truthful does not conflict with keeping a confidence or other legitimate secrets. However, this also does not mean a tick in the it's okay to do box next to white lies or being economical with the truth. It's true that there's a fine line here, but we might ask ourselves in such a situation, why do I want to hold on to this information? If we can say, for example, this is a legitimate and personal confidence I hold, uh, nobody else stands to be damaged by it, and the law is not an issue, then fine. Hold on to it in good conscience. And this is just one example, of course, because there's just no way I could possibly cover every eventuality. But what will help us pretty much always in naughty situations like this is to ask that question, what's my motive? In closing, one might make the observation that these things are easy to say from the pulpit, but very hard to do in real life. And that's clearly true. But some hard things are the reality of taking on the name Christian. We absolutely cannot take that name and continue to live in the same way. Christ is the way and the light and the truth. And we must be too. Put away lying and speak the truth. To God be the glory. Let us pray.